You know, the Knicks got smacked silly this past Sunday, but that's not the biggest story. What in the world is going on with this team? Our New York Post sports writer, Zach Brazilla, will drop by to break down the mess, including the front office with Scott Perry, Dave Fisdale, Steve Mills, and we're also joined by a former Nick, a fan favorite, one of the best available hired guns in the league right now, three-time six-man of the year, Jamal Crawford. All that and more next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. This is going to be a crazy one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the fourth episode of Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide, but you can call me Kaz. And if this is your first time listening to this, welcome, because each and every week we bring you NBA writers, Knicks writers, Knicks celebrity fans, supporters, former Knicks, current Knicks that come to this podcast and talk everything about the blue and orange. But if you've been listening for the past four weeks, I want to thank you for subscribing, leaving comments comments, leaving your likes, sharing the podcast, all that. I especially want to thank my guests. Uh, if this is your first time listening, you can go back and listen to past episodes with Charles Oakley, Walt Clyde Frazier, Chris Child, my guy Mark Berman of the New York Post. So many guests, so many people. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a big one. So my man Zach Braziller is making his debut on the show today. We got a lot of big things to talk about, especially after the debacle that happened Sunday in the Garden. Uh, but if you're joining us now, this is the best place to talk about Knicks. We're giving you the best New York Knicks content out there. So I don't want to waste no more time, man. Let's get it rolling. You know, most nights when the Knicks get clapped at home by over 20 points to the Cleveland Cavaliers, that would be the lead story. But, you know, a really surreal moment happened after the game where the front office actually attempted if that's what you want to call it, to take accountability for what's going on with this 2-8 and eight team with Scott Perry and Steve Mills, address the media, address the poor start, address the poor effort. Uh, there's so many things to talk about on the court, and I feel like we do that a lot. We got to talk about some off-the-court stuff. We got to talk about some front office stuff. And I got my man Zach Braziller of the New York Post, general sports writer uh, for the publication. And Zach, man, there's been so th- – th- for. Even with everything that happened over the summer, there was some cautious optimism with this Knicks team. And obviously, 10 games into the season, the plans, whatever they had about bringing back bully ball or 90s-era Knicks or defense or toughness or protecting the garden, three 20-point blowouts in the past four games, that is completely out the window. Zach, what are your thoughts so far on this New York Knicks team and their effort? Yeah, it's been really inconsistent. I mean, it, it's hard to figure. The Mavericks, I thought, it was their best game of the year. You just They came out with a different aggression, different urgency. And then yesterday, it's back to the same old thing. You know, it was hard to figure. I felt like watching that Mavericks game, like the coaching staff really just kicked their ass before that game, where it's like, you guys need to wake up and, yeah. you know, really got into them. And it was almost like they played one game and they thought, okay, we're good. All of a sudden. And to me, you're 2-7 and seven going into that loss. It's like, you can't think you – it was almost like they came into that game like thinking they arrived, like they yeah. accomplished something, which is hard for me to figure. You know, you want to rip the coaching staff. You want to rip the players. You want to rip management. To me, that's all fair game. You know, that was just an unexcusable performance. And, look, this year wasn't about tanking. This year was about at least starting to get back to being a respectable organization. I don't 
didn't think they made the playoffs, but I thought they could win 31, maybe 32 games, kind of be on the fringes of the playoff race for a while. And so far, it's just been a mess. It's been awful. I feel like the first, even the first couple of games with the losses that they took early in the season, you at least saw effort. You saw people playing hard. They would go down early, come back. They actually saw some fight in this team. But, you know, the Mavericks game, even though, you know, they won that game, you thought that would be, well, I thought it signified a turnaround. They played hard. Shots were being made. Frank Nilkina played with a lot of confidence, you know, and the Mavericks are a very good team. And then you just come back and just lay an absolute egg and in the garden in front of the Cavaliers. It's it's been a disaster. It's been an unmitigated disaster ever since then. Um, so obviously the first thing I want to ask you about is Scott Perry and Steve Mills addressing the media after the game. Are they already laying the groundwork to move on from Dave Fisdale? I mean, it it kind of seems like it. I mean, you saw the the Adrian Wojnarowski report that uh, about Steve Mills is already kind of laying that groundwork. You know, you want to hold a press conference after a practice or have someone talk to the media. That look, that's so it's weird, but it's all right to yeah. do that after that game. Ten games in, it's almost like you're cutting out your coach's legs. Yeah, you know he's. He's gonna. He owned it after they did, but it's kind of like no one cares what he has to say when his bosses are, are the ones taking account. And look, I like when you have front office people do that. You could go look over at the the Giants and their GM is hiding from the media. So I do like the the fact that they showed accountability, but they did it in the wrong way. You don't do it ten games in. You don't do it after a game. If if you want to have one of them kind of talk to the media after a recent practice, and you know, there's a better ways to do it than they did it. It's like ten games in. Unless you're planning to get rid of this coach really soon, it, it doesn't do any good. All you're doing is hurting him in terms of his power over his players. The players are, are, are seeing that. And apparently they didn't even address the players, which makes it even stranger. Yeah. Why are you addressing the media and not the play? you got to talk to the players first, and then you go to the media. And look, I love the accountability. I love the, you know, it's a good story technically, but it's it makes didn't make a lot of sense to me. It, like, didn't, it didn't make any sense to me at all. My thing is the big talking point that was going into this season was the Knicks got to make a culture change. When you talk to every free agent, they say, you know, they love the city. Obviously, playing in New York is attractive to big free agents. It's a culture problem with this Knicks organization. It's a culture problem with this team. And take, like you said, it taking your coach's legs out from under you to the media doesn't ind- indicate a culture change over there. It just indicates more of the same Nick Circus stuff that's happening every single year. You know, it's funny about that is, you know, I, I, I've been a number of games this year where I, uh, it, you know, my years covering pro sports where it's, you know, a Mets game, a brutal Mets loss, a brutal Knicks loss, and sometimes the coach doesn't come in right after, and you're like wondering, wow, maybe maybe we're going to get a, a GM or something to come in. You know, and it, you know, it's just fantasy because that never happens. <laughs> it happened yesterday. It was, it was so bizarre um, to see them do that. Um, clearly, that was the owner telling them, "Hey, you need to tell our fans this is unacceptable." But they did it the wrong way. You know, how, maybe this week, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. You know, after a practice, you know, hey, Mills is gonna be available to talk about the the state of the team. All right, that that's okay. At least kind of understand it. But to do it after a game, I I really, you know, just don't get it. Look. They've been trying to sell us this bill of goods that they had a great offseason. We know it wasn't a good offseason. We know they failed for what they wanted to do, and you're seeing it. I mean, they have no point guard, although I do like what Frank has done. You know, Dennis Smith's a mess. Obviously, you know, he had a personal loss, uh, which is tough to deal with. But, he, you know, Peyton is okay. But it's just, it just has not worked out. At what point 
Does player responsibility have to come into? Marcus Morris had a great quote. He said, "F the X's and O's. At some point, like y'all just gotta, we just gotta play better, you know." And these are proven guys. These aren't these aren't scrubs that they picked up off the street. Like Marcus Morris, Julius Randle, Bobby Portis. These are all guys that have had success in the NBA in other places. And even you know the young guys. R.J. Barrett went off to a great start. Kevin Knox looks like he's a little better this year. And Mitch is hurt, but when he's on the court, he's very effective. These aren't scrubs. At what point? Does do, does personal accountability have to come in with these players? Yeah, but it, it's the same thing. You can't fire the players. You know, you, you're not. You, you just can't do it. So you're going to see. You know, if this continues, you're going to see a new coach in here. They're going to want a new voice, and you know, Fizdale's going to people throw his record against him, which to me is not fair because last year they were trying to lose. Yeah. Um, but that's just that's just the bottom line in, in pro sports. You can't fire the coach ten. <laughs> you can't fire the players ten games into the season. So they'll. They'll try to, if this continues, they'll try to bring in a new coach. But look, it, they did bring in some decent players, but it's it's a weird roster. They have too many power forwards. They don't have a point guard. You know, they're asking probably way too much of R.J. Barrett. Um, you know, Randall, they're trying to make him into a playmaker. He's not. He's averaging almost five turnovers a game. And, you know, instead of – he, sh- he should be in the paint bullying people. He should not be out on the perimeter trying to create. But part of the problem is they don't have creators. They have too many guys who just, you know – they, they need that point guard to, to really create things, and they don't have it. They don't. They don't. It's, 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 a, rough, it's a rough thing to see, especially l- – let's talk a little bit more about Julius Randle. I mean, for what people have said to the offseason, even if people were, 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 were criticizing them signing a million power forwards, and that was the narrative put out there by a lot of publications, they did say Julius Randle was supposed to be a guy who's going to make that leap into an all-star this year, and he's regressed. He's regressed. I caught I caught a couple of those New Orleans Pelicans games last year. I caught the game when he dropped near, damn near fifty over Enos Cancer and all these other really good players. And he doesn't look he he looks completely different. He looks just shot. What what have you seen out of him that's been you know when when the coach is saying hey Marcus Morris is our leader and it's like dude you're supposed to be the leader Julius Randle you know like what what do you see out of him this year? I think he's being put in a bad position. I mean, he's basically being asked to be the point forward, and he's p- clearly pressing. I mean, he's in New York City. He's supposed to be the big star here, and he's doing trying to do too much, but it's also the problem. I mean, you know, he played with point guards last year. He doesn't have a point guard. He's being asked to do everything. He's being asked to, to score. He's being asked to create, and that's where all the turnovers are coming. I mean, that it's a big problem. I mean, I, I actually liked what Peyton was doing before he got hurt. You know, he would at least kind of run their offense somewhat, and you know, it's you know they're they're trying to fit you know pieces together that don't quite mesh. But still, the bottom line is they haven't played consistently hard. You can't. They've lost two home games to two bad teams and gotten blown away. There's no excuse for that. And after you play like the way you get in Dallas, to think you've arrived because you're two and seven to me is is hard to fathom. I mean, hopefully it's not going to get worse because. I think if it gets progressively worse, you're going to have a new coach. I'm not one of those guys. Obviously, Fizdale has his faults. But one thing that you hear about the league about him is that he connects to these players. He gets people to play hard for him. He's well-respected around the league. Scott Perry, the same thing. Well-respected around the league. Has had success before coming to the Knicks. A name that's on my mind is a guy like Steve Mills, who's been around for damn near 20 years, just as long as Dolan. And... There, there's been nothing of note to show for it, nothing. And he's the guy who's pretty much goes out there, says what he has to say to the media, 
so he could kind of cover his own behind just in case he has to fire another coach and keep him there for another couple of years. At what point does somebody look at Steve Mills and say, hey, bro, hit the bricks. Like, you got, you're, you're kind of the problem. There's one guy to do that, and that's the owner. And yeah. He seems to love Mills. I mean, I I said on last night on Twitter, Mills has been on scholarship for two decades. You know, he left for a few years. But he's back, and it, look, you could say whatever you want. He's not, he's not the guy making the decision. This time. He's the president of the organization. I understand when he came back, he was kind of Phil Jackson's you know, le, you know, know, right-hand man, and he wasn't really the one making the calls. But look, he's been here now for almost two decades. He's the one people are saying now is the one who's trying to grease the skins for Fisdale. I mean, I don't see what value he brings. I, I don't. He's not a basketball guy. He's not a, a talent evaluator. You know, I, I don't. I don't quite understand why Dolan has so much trust in him, but I mean, it's not like Dolan makes good decisions when it comes to the Knicks. So I guess that does make sense. But yeah, I mean, what what's going to take? It's going to take the owner saying, "I need someone who really knows basketball to be the, my my top, you know, my chief executive here instead of Steve Mills." I mean, I if Scott Perry says this isn't working, I want a new coach. I'd be fine with that. Scott Perry is a basketball guy. He's been around. He's he has a history of at least. You know, knowing talent, I don't, I don't see what Steve Mills has that makes you, that makes him say something. And Dolan says, "Yeah, you're right. Let's do that." I don't, I don't quite understand. Steve Mills gets rid of Fisdale. It's, it's his way to pass the buck. I mean, that's clearly what it is. I mean, I, I would not be making a coaching change now. I don't, I don't love Fisdale. I don't think he's great, but I mean, that, that's also sending a bad message to the players. To me, is like, oh well, it's, it was the coach. Make. Let let this play out a little. Let let like let's let's you know, how about him when they talk? You know, say our players need to play better. Zach, one last question before we get you out of here. If they do eventually get rid of Fisdale, which I'm not a proponent of, but if they do, who do you see? Who 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 sees this roster and is like, yeah, I can work with that. Like, what's what's the dream replacement? Like, what the, what what where does that work? I mean, I think you're gonna you're gonna see them promote a probably one of the assistants to be an interim coach and and do a long search. I mean, there isn't that name out there that you could that you think, oh, this guy will work. You're gonna see an you're gonna see an interim coach for a while. And I mean, the the, the Mark Jackson things kind of floated around the organization for a couple of years. Does that seem is that is that sexy enough for you? Is that something that makes you feel like oh, okay, they they made the right move here? I don't hate it. You know, I I wouldn't hate it. They need someone in here who's gonna kick ass. They do. I mean, you know they. Big part of the selling point of Fisdale was, you know, players love him. He'll be able to attract free agents. I mean, really? Well, that was the, that was the that was the talking point when they hired him. You know, he's, he was LeBron's guy with the Heat and all that stuff. You know, you know, what attracts free agents? Winning basketball, being a professional organization that treats players right. That's you know, getting back to playing defense and respectable. That's the way you become good again. And I said that from the jump. The first sign the Knicks are going to be good, heading back to respectability is when they play defense. So when Robinson gets back, you go Robinson, you go Frank, and then you have a start of a nice defensive team, and, you know, you fit around there with, you know, obviously with Randall and Morris and RJ and other guys, you know. But for some reason, they just so far this year, they just really have not played consistently. <sighs> we could do this all day, but you can follow Zach Brazilla on Twitter at NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. That's two L's and an E. And read all of his great stories on the post, on the Knicks, the local college basketball scene, another action he covers for nypost.com. Zach, thank you so much. 
Uh, it's, it's it's a rough one, but we'll get through it together. Hey, it's, it's only 10 games. Let's remember that. It's less than an eighth of the season. Yes. Give, give us, give, before, before we that get to that, could be a good you... thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my man, Zach, good to have you, buddy. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. There's a lot of people walking around claiming themselves to be a, a, a walking bucket, but my next guest on Big Apple Buckets is the definition of that. He's a three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, played four seasons with the New York Knicks. It ain't been a lot to be happy about to be a Knicks fan, but this guy's time as a Knick was very memorable, very exciting. He's played for the Bulls, the Warriors, the Hawks, the Blazers, the Clippers, 39 years old, 19 NBA seasons. A lot of GMs are going to lose their job because they haven't given this man a call yet to get him, on the, get him on the roster. My man Jamal Crawford, welcome to Big Apple Buckets of the New York Post. How you doing, man? Man, I don't know if I can top that introduction. Thank you, Appreciate you. <laughs> listen, that's my thing, man. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Every time I have a guest on, I gotta be like, listen, man. You gotta. You gotta realize there's a big reason why we're calling you on, man. Sometimes you gotta remember just who the hell you are. So shout out, to man, Jay Crawl, <laughs> man. So so talk to me, man. Like before we get into all the Knicks drama that's going on and your time in the Garden and everything like that. Where's your head at right now? I mean, your your obvious your last game. I think you dropped. Well, you dropped like fifty in your last game before. Before you <laughs> called it a not even called it a career, but I mean, you know, a lot of these called it a season. Called it a season, exactly. So, right. so, tell me where your head's at right now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you you still want to play. Have you heard? Oh, absolutely. No, nah, but besides the, even the the fifty one, like I averaged thirty one for the month of April. A lot of people sleep on that. Like you know, what I mean, like it was, it was crazy. Is it was the highest scoring month of my career. Like, in 19 years, I've never had a, uh, a month where I averaged that much. I think my second highest was 26, and it was, like, 2009 when I was with the Warriors. Yeah, so besides the 51, I think what gets lost in translation is I was, like, my highest scoring month in my career. And for me, like, I, obviously I want to play and I'm going to continue to play, but it's just it's a, it's a tricky situation right now in the NBA when you kind of look at what's going on and what teams are doing. You know what I mean? And there's no way you can't tell me that certain guys – I'm not taking myself out of it, right? Like, just being a basketball brain, there's no way you can't tell me certain guys can't help in some capacity, whether it's veteran leadership, whether it's uh, a guy who can play the fourth quarter, whether it's a guy who can show young guys the ropes, or all the above. You know what I mean? So it's kind of amazing what I'm seeing watching just as a fan of the game, besides, you know, you talking about myself. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, man. I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I've watched a bunch of games this year. You're about a month into the NBA season, and I'm like – How's Jamal Crawford not on the roster? How how is Carmelo Anthony not on the roster? How's yeah, take, take me and Melo out, right? Take me and Melo out. I was about to say because you always hear about us a lot on social media, or whatever. But how are you gonna tell me Amon Shumpert or, or Fareed who play well when I give an opportunity, or Joe Kim Noah or Corey Brewer, or like I can go on and on, or Quincy Pondexter? It's so many guys, or Jonathan Simmons. Like these are all dudes that are out there that you can't. Or J.R. Smith. Like you can't tell me can't help certain teams. You know what I mean? So. It's just amazing, and it, 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 it's almost sad in a way, you know, by the way things are kind of going and the direction it's going if you look at it. But, you know, you just you keep it moving. Stay focused and control what you can control. Now, how political do you think that is, man? Because the one thing I'm learning is that if you rub one person the wrong way or hire the wrong agent or do something to, that rubs someone the wrong way, it feels like people just block you out from the league no matter how – talented you may be do you feel like you might have been like a victim of that in some sort of way or no nah, I don't think so I don't think so because honestly I think in in the grand scheme of things I think my reputation is 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 pretty good you know what I mean even if it's not like I, I mean I would think so I would 
two years ago, I won Team of the Year and, and for the whole NBA. And that's not like, to me, that's not something awards you're trying to win. Like, that's a character thing. You know what I mean? Like, that's truly having somebody else's best interest in, in front of your own. So I, I don't think it's that. And I don't want to say it's political. It's just obvious that the league is, is going in a, a different direction. It's no coincidence that all these guys are free agents. Like, you can't tell me that and expect me to believe it. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell me these guys can't play or can't help. So, like I said, we'll see how it plays out. I know this this call kind of came a little late. You hit me. It was like, yo, I got to get my workout in before before we yeah, do this yeah, call. Yeah, yeah, so, so you still, just to let everybody listening, like, Jamal's still in the gym. He's still getting buckets. Every day. Absolutely. So you mean to tell Absolutely. me not a, not a single team has, has rung the phone? Not, none at all? Oh, no, no, no. We've had conversations. Uh, I'd be lying if I said we hadn't. We had conversations. But um, obviously, you know, I'm still here. So they didn't go, you know, the best, I guess. And he just kind of. Stay focused on what you control and keep it, keep it, keep it positive and keep working. Okay, so I'll, I'll put it out there, man. Like we're we're a Knicks podcast. I'm in New York City. It was for the New York Post. The New York, everything going on with the Knicks right now. It seems like they're lacking a lot of leadership, a lot of scoring. Obviously, the Knicks call you right now. What do you say to them? I definitely would talk to them. Why not? I mean, I, I've I, my two favorite places to play in my career have been the Clippers in New York. You know, so even when we weren't the best team at the time. I just appreciate the fans. I appreciate the fan base. I appreciate the history. You know, I appreciated everything that came with New York and I took pride in putting on that next jersey, you know, and I only have, put it this way, I only have two of my jerseys up in my house and that's one of the two that I have, the next jersey. So if they called, I would definitely talk to, to Steve Mills. He's a, you know, a friend of mine over the years. That's good to hear, man. And I know a lot of Knicks fans will be happy to hear that just because, you know, Especially after yesterday, I mean, did you, I watched the game yesterday. Knicks got blown out at home by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you know you got the front office doing media calls or, or taking on the press conferences uh, before the coach gets on there. You've been in situations where you know there's midseason coaching changes or there's front office turmoil, and and you've been with the Knicks, obviously. Um, is there? What what's it like as a player? Put me in a player's shoes when you're in the locker room. And you see. You know the coach under fire. You got the front office having to answer questions. There's a lot of turmoil. Like, what's it like to be like in that fire when things just seem to kind of be going haywire around the organization? Yeah, well, the thing about New York, especially, and I learned like we have I think seven or eight beat writers that follow us everywhere. You know, most teams may have two or three. You know, and I was in Chicago. I think we have four. You know, but New York, everything is bigger, right? Not just basketball, anything. Anything that goes on is, is back page and. It's a lot going on, but obviously, I think when the Knicks are better, the league's in a better place. You know, people, they have such a, a huge fan base all over the country, all over the world, that when they're doing well, it's good for the league. And I think other teams like that, it's even more fun to come play in the garden, you know, and, and you want to get back to that. And even though I'm not on the team right now, I would love to see them do well. I remember one time I was with the Clippers and we were in town for, I think, three or four days. Me and played Brooklyn and the Knicks. And I went to a Knicks game as a fan. I literally just went to the game to watch them play somebody and just get that experience of it. So, you know, when, when the Knicks and the Lakers and, you know, teams like that are really good, I think it's better for the league. I think it's better for uh, the fans, and, and hopefully they get back to that. Well, you say you watch it as a fan. Uh, ha- have you watched the Knicks this year? Is there anything that just you've noticed just as a basketball mind and as a player who's been in that organization just on the court that you say, like, yo, you, what, what can they fix tomorrow? It, to, to get those guys on the right track if, if, you're, if right. you're somebody over there? Well, I think, um, you know, not to be too much in their business, I think with any team, you want to identify 
Like, how are we going to play? What's going to be our style of play? Uh, you know, what, what are our beliefs? What do we believe in? Who are we trying to uh, kind of build this thing around? Who are going to be our main scorers? How we, I think when everybody understands exactly what they're supposed to do, no matter what it is, if you're the guy who's going to play five minutes every night, you bring the five minutes every single night as hard as you can. Try to help the team as best as you can. If you're the guy that plays 35 minutes, this is your role. This is your responsibility. And I'm not saying they're not doing that. I just think everybody is better when they know exactly what they're supposed to do and, and, and how it fits collectively with the team. Now you mentioned, you know, responsibility and roles and knowing what you're going into every single game means a lot when it comes to a team that's on a snide like that. How much does a coaching change make a difference? You've been on teams where there have been multiple coaching changes. You've been on teams where there have been stability. Like, how much does something like that make a difference in, in, on, in, the, in the roster? Well, it depends. I've seen it go, like you said, I've been on different teams, and I've seen it go both ways. I've seen where it helps, and I think I've seen where it hurts. So every situation is kind of individually based, you know, and uh, I'm not in their locker room or, or following them that closely, so I don't know. I do know Fizdale's a, a great coach. You know, he has a great pedigree. He comes from a winner uh, with Miami and, and the places he's been. So I'm not sure that's necessarily the move, but I don't know what the move is. But obviously something is not. Uh, clicking, you know, and, and that's up to them. That's why they get paid the big bucks to figure it out. Speaking of uh, that roster move, Alonzo Trier is a, a big, big fan of yours. He's a guy who, you know, last year's rookie, I was like, yo, he reminds me a lot of Jamal Crawford, comes off the bench. Yeah, I'm a fan of his too. Yeah, so talk to me about Alonzo, man. He's he's one of those guys who's been one of your biggest supporters and just saying, like, you know, it's crazy how this guy's on the roster right now. And your games just met, are just so similar. You're both from the same area, both from Seattle, Washington. Like, what's it, what's it been like watching his growth and kind of seeing the, the struggles that he's had to go through with that Knicks team, especially being such a fan of his game? Yeah, I love his growth. Uh, I love how he played last year. He caught a lot of people off guard, but people in Seattle knew. You know, people in this area have seen him since he was a kid, so we knew what he was capable of. I think for him, he's been a total pro. You know, some games I've seen where his minutes have been seven, eight, make it one shot, two shots, whatever. I don't see the bad body language. I see him still supporting his teammates. I see him still being the ultimate pro. And you got to be bigger than the situation you're in. You know, this situation won't uh, define his career. It'll be a year or two or however long it lasts this race uh, in his career. You know, and for him, just keep being a pro, keep working on your game, keep trying to help the team. Uh, I think when you operate with a pure heart in those, in that respect, so I think, I think, you know, things tend to work out. So I have no doubt that he'll, he'll reach all the potential he's supposed to in his future, but sometimes, I mean, there's going to be bumps in the road and that's just part of life. Now you mentioned before, there's only two jerseys that you got retired and the Knicks jersey is one of them. And even though the, you know, individually you've had a lot of success as a team, you know, the Knicks didn't really do that well. And being somebody who's watched as a fan, who's played in this Knicks uniform, who's played for the guard, who knows how passionate this Knicks fan base is, how difficult was losing here? Like, you know, you were part of the rebuild in 2004, and, you know, it was hard to get it kind of turned around. But what was it like being part of this franchise? And, you know, not, you know, you individually were great, but just being part of it, not being able to kind of turn it around and, and be one of those players that brought the Knicks back to the prominence that you can see it becoming, that you've seen in other franchises. Uh, how difficult was that for you? I'm going to tell you the most difficult part, the day I got traded, to be honest with you. Because, like you said, I was there in a rough period. I was there for four and a half years. And the four years were rough. I mean, I thought we could have made the playoffs a couple times. Um, and then, <laughs> from there, I'm 
the leading scorer and Zach Randolph the second leading scorer were top two leading scorers or whatever. It was the best start in the last 10 years to start the season. I played 11 games. I think we were six to five or whatever. And we both could have been on the track to make the all-star game. We could have made the playoffs and next year we got back in the playoffs and then we both get traded the same day. And I didn't see that coming. So I was more hurt, not only from the trade, but I was like, dang, I sat here through all these years where we were really, really struggling and I didn't run and didn't want to leave or whatever. Now that we're getting good, I get traded. So that hurt. And that was my first trade. And, and that part kind of uh, was disheartening because I was like, I've been here through all the, the worst times. I want to be here when it's good as well. And so that part hurt. And, you know, eventually they made the playoffs with Melo and I think Stat and those guys once or twice. But, you know, that was probably the, the thing that hurt the most. Listen, as somebody who's watched the Knicks for a long time, I was really looking forward to hopefully you, Amari, Melo, you know, Tyson Chandler. Like, I feel like if you were part of that mix, it could have been something real special over here, but things change. Um, moving on from the negativity of the Knicks, there's have been few bright spots here and there. One of the bright spots has been the play of Ricky R.J. Barrett. Um, he's struggled from the free throw line, but everywhere else he seems to have been ahead of the curve as a 19-year-old rookie for the Knicks. Um, what kind of advice would you give him, man? He seems like he's shooting 40% from the free throw line. Your career, 86% free throw shooter. You were, you were automatic from the free throw line. And you've never really experienced woes like that as a professional. Um, if you can give R.J. Barrett any type of uh, advice on how to handle those free throw struggles, what would you give him? Well, for him, like you say, he's, he's shooting well everywhere on the floor. If I was a teammate, I'd tell him, don't overthink it. Get a routine. I would get a routine where I wasn't up there too long to be honest with you maybe one dribble and then go just to get a rhythm if you're up there the more you're up there the more you're dribbling the more you're thinking about it, the more you have more time to think so i would tell him you know get a routine and i would do not don't rush it but i would just get a routine where i maybe do one dribble and then go up with it, it gives you less time to think and i think we're all at our best shooting wise when we're not overthinking and just the muscle memory part kind of takes over perfect no uh, i just want to throw it back just one more time because i really just as a basketball fan and i, I don't think i'm alone in this, like, just basketball fans just love watching you play, whether it's in Seattle, whether Thank it's in the Pro-Am, whether it's in the NBA. You're just a guy who we just love watching just get hot and just go off. And, uh, you know, you've – I just want to ask you, like, just not being in the NBA, like, do you talk – you and Carmelo Anthony are the number one, like, guys that every time we look on and we see, like, a contender, like, yeah, yeah this guy could help this team. This guy could help this team. Right. Do you and Melo talk? And, and and if so, what are those conversations like being those guys that are just waiting that you absolutely know could help a contender or even help a struggling team kind of find their way? Yeah, I haven't talked to Melo, to be honest with you. I haven't talked to him. But every time we see each other, it's nothing but love. It's all respect both ways. But, yeah, I haven't talked to Melo in forever. And like I said, besides us, there's so many good players out there that I know can help you know, and, and, and help the situation and help any situation because they've been around and wouldn't get in the way of whatever team is trying to develop the youth or, you know, but if you can, if you have a guy who can tell you, hey, don't touch that, it's hot, you know, I've been through it. And it saves that, that kid or young player time and energy and, and, and helps the team overall because the young player didn't go down that road. Why wouldn't you do that? I think that's in life, right? If you're an actor, and you have a, let's say, a, you know, a Samuel Jackson or a Wood Harris, somebody who's a veteran actor who can kind of tell you the ropes, speed up the process. Like, who wouldn't want that? You know, so, you know, I have I have faith that it's going to work out, not just for me and Melo, take us out of it. I think for, uh, you know, other guys that deserve to be out there and deserve to be on rosters. So, you know, stay patient, stay faithful to it. Understood, man. Final question I want to ask you. Say this is 
the last, you know, we've seen you on the, on the NBA court. One question I want to ask is, how do you want to be remembered? And two, what's next for you, whether being in the community or is coaching in the future? Are we still going to see you killing in Seattle Pro-Am? Like, what's next for you if, if this is the last time we get to see you on the NBA co- court? So I'm, I'm going to answer it. I'm not going to answer it because <laughs> I don't want to have the thought of it being the last time. So I'm not going to answer that part. But whenever I finish playing, I'm going to always continue to do what I've been doing in the community, um, you know, in, in that's always been there. That's always been consistent. I'll be playing on some court, whether it's LA fitness or, you know, 24 hour fitness or wherever, you know, and I'll be helping uh, kids. I've helped my own son develop his game and, and just doing what I do. So either way, I'll be around the game of basketball whenever that day is. Whatever that day is. And hopefully it ain't, it ain't tomorrow. Won't be anytime soon. Follow my man, nah, Jamal Crawford, <laughs> on Twitter, at JCrossover. Very big on Twitter. One of my favorite follows. Knicks, call this man's agent, bro. Call his agent. Jamal, thank Holla you. Holla at him, man. He said the phone line is open. Get it going. Jamal, thank you so much for talking with me. We'll get with you soon. Thank you for coming on Big Apple Buckets, bro. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Take it easy. Right now, I would love to bring on my illustrious producer, Jake Brown, who gives us the fans' perspective in this week's letter from the fans. Dear Knicks, this is just pathetic. After you reeled us in with a win in Dallas, you showed us your true colors and a beat down in front of the home faithful to a crappy Cavs team. You are 2-8. and eight. Your average margin of defeat is 14 points. The games aren't even close. You have fans paying top dollar for tickets for a product that would barely make the 99 cent store. This team just isn't that good, but it also shouldn't be this bad. Lacking effort and not competing is absolutely inexcusable, David Fisdale. We are all right for criticizing you. Competing in games shouldn't be a tall task, like me turning down a slice of New York pizza. That is a tall task. This roster is capable of winning 25 to 30 games. They are on pace right now for 17 wins, which would tie last year's debacle. There was enough done to this roster for the team to improve, but they are regressing. Something must give. And we are looking at you, Steve Mills, after you and Scott Perry spoke to the media in an unexpected post-game presser Sunday, the stories are now circulating that you are laying the internal groundwork for Fizz's eventual dismissal. Fire Fizzdale, that's fine with us, but your record of 165 and 337 running the ship here won't be overlooked either. Making a coaching change would be a start, but it would just be the beginning of more moves this organization needs to make. We've been waiting around for a winner for two decades. The patience is running thin. From the fans. Yeah, and that's a wrap on this week's very cathartic episode of Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast, the New York Post. Special thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, who works so so very hard to make sure this happens each and every week and gets it to you on any of your podcast platforms. So shout out to my man, Jake. We got you covered each and every Tuesday with brand new episodes. So make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily NY Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday talking more Knickerbockers basketball. Hopefully they get this season back on the right track. But until then, I'll catch you later. Make sure you follow me on Twitter and at Instagram at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. We'll see you next week. Take it easy.